On today's episode, you're going to listen to an American founder of an e-commerce 3PL logistics company based in Shenzhen, China, about how his company survived the coronavirus lockdown and what you can learn from the Chinese experience. Do stay tuned. Retail and e-commerce have witnessed an unprecedented transformation in the last decade. The widespread adoption of mobile technology, social media, as well as the lowered cost of cloud-based technology have not only eroded the barriers to entry in retail, but it's also led to the rapid rise and dominance of digital native product brands that sell directly to their customers. On this podcast, you'll get the scoop on customer acquisition and retention strategies employed by high-growth digital native product brands. Not being afraid to spend because you know that customer is going to pay it back uh, three or four-fold. That's when you start to unlock channels in a way that they were meant to be used. Listen to interviews with experts at the forefront of technology and innovation in digital retail. Three years ago, they wouldn't have come to us because, yeah, the macro trend of cloud, Wi-Fi, broadband availability, that was a real, that was a real problem. Hear firsthand stories from founders of innovative direct-to-consumer brands. Although I was thinking about the competition, I was more thinking about, like, I want to just build a freaking successful business. We focus on driving as much traffic as possible, converting that traffic, uh, and then dumping money back into driving more traffic. These insights will help you consistently 2x growth in specific areas of your direct-to-consumer brand. This is the 2x e-commerce podcast, hosted by Kunle Campbell. I wanted to give the team out at Clavio a shout out, and that's because they have a COVID-19 daily pulse update. So if you're trying to figure out how the e-commerce industry is affected by the COVID-19 pandemic, look no further because they run a daily survey and then email the daily results to merchants. And you don't have to be a Clavio customer to be part of this. Head over to Clavio.com and you'd find a pop under right on their site. We'll link you to the survey form. Once you fill out the survey form, you're automatically entered and you'd be given updates on a regular basis. Try and update the form regularly. Just head over to Clavio.com. This is really good insightful data for the e-commerce industry best of luck everybody and stay safe guys um this is quite impromptu i decided to to stream this um one live because um you know um it's so important to to get you know this content and get the experts out as soon as possible given the covid and e-commerce a lot of you are asking me questions you know around how um, e-commerce businesses are going to survive this one. Um, I really think they will. Um, it's critical. Retail stores are down. Um, the logistics, um, you know, backbone is still in place in many countries. Um, and so there is a window of opportunity, I think, in, in e-commerce. So with that being said, I, you know, I, I promised last week I will get a ton of experts, uh, as many as I can on the show to cover this on audio and video, um, whichever format you prefer. And um, today I'm joined by 
Brian Miller. Now, Brian Miller has been in China for 10 years and he, he, he runs a third party logistics company, essentially, um, which, which helps, you know, Amazon FBA sellers and e-commerce, you know, businesses ship products from China, um, around the world. He witnessed, um, from Shenzhen, the impact of, um, COVID, you know, three months ago when it, you know, affected China. So I, I don't think, we can get anybody better right now to give us that unique insight in, into, you know, um, how it's shaped, how it's likely to shape the industry. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Brian to the show. Welcome, Brian. Yeah, thanks for having me. I uh, appreciate the short notice to jump on and hopefully I can help some people uh, that listen optimize their business for these very uncertain times. So hopefully we can add some value to the listeners. Well, thank you. Thank you for, for coming on the show. And um, it was just yesterday we made a request out to you and um, you're here in less than 24 hours. So I really, really appreciate it. Okay, let's start out with easychinawarehouse.com, which is you know your business around logistics. Could you tell us, give us a bit about the background of you and you know how this came to be? And then we'll jump right into your experience in, in January, you know, back in you know, January and February. Sure. Yeah. So um, I'm originally from the U.S. um, and I came to China 10 years ago. What state? Um, Connecticut. So right next to New York uh, for people that aren't familiar with Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I started working um, in China for one of the largest state-owned, by state-owned, I mean Chinese uh, government-owned manufacturers in the world, Mm -hmm. uh, China Railway Rolling Stock Corporation. And they are one of the largest railroad manufacturers, industrial manufacturers in the world. So what um, was your background? Were you in railroads um, initially? What, why did they pick you? No, I actually, um, you know, I started actually graduating in, it, it's interesting that it's coming full circle here to another crisis, but um, in 08, I graduated. So during the financial crisis. Um, and at that time, jobs were not as so easy to come by. And so I started traveling around the world. I spent some time in Europe and then headed over to Asia. And I was just totally impressed with uh, China, its growth, uh, its speed, its um, eternal optimism of the people. Um, So it's kind of like a place that really attracted me. And once I kind of got there and I had studied business at university, I kind of got stuck and uh, wanted to to stay and learn how China worked and hopefully do some type of manufacturing and exporting. So that was like my goal. And that's how I kind of came across that company. Okay. Um, okay. And what was your role yeah. in the company? I did the, I was the North American uh, manager for sales. So I helped them do all their export uh, to all of our North American customers. So, so they're sold. essentially selling rail tracks? Uh, rail components. So components okay. that go into rail cars, actually okay. in the U.S. Okay. The U.S. has one of the largest rail freight networks in the world, even mm-hmm. though we're not that you know famous for passenger. No one likes to take rail. They like to drive. Mm-hmm. But for moving goods around, because the U.S. is such a large economy and it's driven by consumers, mm-hmm. um, the rail network that supports those consumers is very extensive and very large. And we sold to a lot of the freight rail operators in the U.S., basically, um, components that went into the rail cars that they pulled freight. Mm. So, so how long were you there for? So I worked for them for five years. 
Um, and then, um, towards the end of that, I started to learn a little bit about Amazon FBA, <laughs> um, because I was kind of looking to see if I could transition out of that company and do something on my own. Mm -hmm. And I started, uh, an FBA business at the end, actually, while I was working for them at the same time, uh, selling Bluetooth speakers. So this um, was like 2013, right? Uh, this is like five years later. It was probably 2015-ish. Yeah, because I yeah, because I'd been it's 2020 and I'd arrived in China around 2010. Oh, okay. And so um, yeah, this is about the end of my time at that at that company. Okay, that was yep. the peak of FBA. The peak, yeah. I, I, I think it was, I thought I got in kind of relatively early compared to now, but it depends who you talk to, I think. Like mm. some people got in way before me and I have friends that have also started much later than me, yeah. Mm, mm, mm. So um, you started um, an FBA business, how you selling Bluetooth, you know, equipment, speakers, um, how's that gone and how does that tie in with like um, easychinawarehouse.com? Yeah, so um, that's it. Went well, and um, we became. We, 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 I still own the, the that FBA business. I still run it today. Um, and the reason why I kind of started the warehouse company is I met a lot of my friends uh, that did e-commerce, and a lot of them had kind of this very painful point of like prepping their products for Amazon, yeah. consolidating all of their freight. And like moving it around the world if they sold in multiple Amazon marketplaces. Mm -hmm. And so I was in China on the ground and I started actually just helping my friends ship their freight. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of how the concept and idea started. Super, super interesting. Well, I think we should reconnect on another episode and you know, just dedicate that to, to Amazon. And I, th I think the guests, the, well, our, our, um, our listeners and viewers will, will love to, to, to delve into, you know, the, the knot and bolt of, of Amazon. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So um, where do we move from here? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's down to COVID. Um, so, you know, um, what was the atmosphere in, Okay, let's start out with the volume. So what kind of volumes are you doing with easychinawarehouse.com now? Um, so how many, you know, um, how, how many merchants are you, you know, um, serving? And, you know, what kind of, you know, what kind of volume are you seeing there um, generally yeah, so, on, on an average month? Yeah, so we're, we're relatively small, I mean, compared to other large players. Um, we have over 50 customers now, mm -hmm. um, and we will do... Um, you know, one to three containers uh, a week of consolidated freight that leaves our um, facility, um, depending on the time of the year. Maybe in Q4, it might go up actually, um, you know, to more containers. But our real sweet spot is helping small. What we do is we help small sellers. We take a bunch of small sellers freight and consolidate it all together yeah. so that we basically spread that uh, the, the port fees on either side and all those fees in the middle across all the sellers. And it makes it more competitive for you to do less than container. So that's like kind of our sweet spot. And um, that's what we, that's like our biggest added value. Um, okay. We also do, we also have a drop shipping side of our business where we help drop shippers to consolidate the freight at our 
warehouse mm-hmm. and then ship to to the rest of the world everywhere around the world. So yeah. do, do you, for the dropship clients do you ship individually or um do you, do you ship um to a warehouse elsewhere where it's re <laughs> We, we, we yeah, we have yeah, we have two different types of methods. One is direct to the end consumer, and that's mm-hmm. usually through postal routes around the world. And then we have a new line that we call direct line, um, and that's where we take a whole group of small packages. We label them with USPS labels in China. We ship them as large freight to the U.S. to a, a, a center that we have in the U.S., and then they hand it off to USPS. That's so clever. that freight. Yeah, that freight actually looks like it's shipped within from the U.S. US from yeah. a U.S. address, mm-hmm. and um, and it's a very stable shipment. So we have a lot of customers that like to drop ship in that method mm-hmm. because yeah. then their end customer doesn't know it's from China. Um, fr- and we have similar lines in Europe as well. In Europe, so UK Royal Mail um, and the like. And um, will do, is the freight um, air freighted to to the U.S. or it has to be? Yeah. It's- yeah, yeah. So the the postal is we give it to the post office and then they take care of it. And then the direct line that we do on our own, we air freight our own shipment to our partner in the U.S. and then they hand it over to the USPS. That's so it's really two clever. different options. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, we we definitely have to catch up another episode to to kind of talk about you know what best in class. Um, e-tailers um, are doing with yourselves um, for, you know, wh- you know, obviously you're privy to successes and failures and we really need to sort of understand, um, you know, successes and failures in that space, particularly, um, you know, FBA, maybe a bit of dropship into it to kind of understand that. Now um, it's, it's down to, to COVID. So could you give us a picture of what things looked like in China in January, 2020? Yeah, sure. Um, I'll give everyone kind of a little um, timeline, I guess you could say, just because everything's moved so fast. And even though it's been only a few months since it started, for me, it feels like years. (laughs) Like It feels like we've been through this forever. Um, But so in in China, in December, um, they started to see some type of strange virus that was occurring, but they couldn't really tell what it was. And then on December 31st, the Chinese government made an official announcement that this was COVID-19. It was something that they had discovered and they announced it to the world, basically. Um, And at that time, I'm based in Shenzhen. Uh, The outbreak started in Wuhan, as a lot of us know now. Um, And that's a central city within China, probably about a thousand miles from where where I am. Um, And at that time, not many people were concerned in the beginning. Um, but I'd say by mid-January, you started to see more and more cases in China. And as Asians are, are typically like to do, they, they usually like to wear a face mask to protect themselves and to protect others. So very quickly through you know mid-January to, I'd say, uh, January 20th, you saw a very strong ramp up of like a few people wearing masks to like everyone, mm-hmm. you know, to the point where like, if you didn't wear a mask, people kind of looked at you like, you know, wear one, like protect yourself and protect everyone. Um, So yeah, that was kind of the start of the ramp up. And then on January 23rd, we had Wuhan uh, lockdown. So the the epicenter was was actually actually locked down on the 23rd. Mm. Um, And that city, don't quote me on it, but I think it's around a 10 plus million person city. So it's a very large city um, with a lot of people. 
And I think this was the first feeling that this is something quite serious uh, mm. when when that happened. So almost a month. From yeah, almost. Past. Yeah, yeah. A couple weeks. You know, it was mm. announced on the thirty first. Then three plus weeks later, we see a lockdown happen. Mm. Um, and then a few days later, um, in Guangdong, which is the province I'm in, on the twenty sixth, they uh, required all citizens. It was law to wear a face mask. So they said. Mm. If you go out in public, uh, you've got to wear a face mask. Hmm. And right at that point, we started seeing um, increased checks, uh, temperature checks throughout the city. And so that means any um, supermarket that you might go to would temperature check you on the way in. Um, any mall would lock all their doors and only open one of the doors so that you had to go through one entrance and exit one entrance. Mm. And they would do temperature checks. Mm. So we started seeing from masks to stricter temperature checks and even some road checks. So I took a taxi to my warehouse and we had at the toll booth um, some police officers doing a check of every person that passed the toll booth in the car. So mm. it was like a very gradual um, ramp up to to really stringent checks, you know. And within the first week of February, um, we had checks at banks, um, and then we had to start registering at our place of residence. So whenever I entered my apartment, I had to take a temperature check and write my name, where I'd been, and my phone number. And it was kind of to be able to backtrack um, the cases. If one were to be um, confirmed, then they could call all those people and kind of backtrace them and try to test everyone for the virus. Sorry, as your apartment, who, who, who took the test, the, the test? Were they medical officials or? Um... Yeah, this is a great question. Um, so in our building and in most buildings in China, they usually have like a management company that manages the building. And those people like take care of trash and cleaning it and all that, those type of things. Uh, the, 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 the um, shared utilities, like the elevators and stuff. And so those people started taking on that role. So they would do the checks and they would do the registrations. And it's the same with supermarkets as well. So if anyone's ever been to China, they have like a lot of uh, security guards that at each, at each place. And these security guards took on the role of like temperature checking and making sure people were following the rules. Like if you tried to go into a supermarket without a mask, these security guards would not let you in. Mm. So it was a concerted community effort, to, you know, in with business also. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah, it was kind of uh, came from the top, I'd say, yeah. from the government. Um, but the bottom uh, kind of followed it quite stringently, and they were quite they took it quite seriously. Mm. And um, I think that in turn kind of helped you know, China get over it very quickly, which we could probably get into at the end as it goes to other places. But mm. this was kind of an advantage that China had right from the beginning. People took it really seriously and we saw measures go in place very quickly, like mm. within a few weeks, right? Mm. So that was pretty spectacular to see. Mm. Mm. Interesting, super interesting. Let's take this quick break to hear from our sponsors. Let's take a quick break to talk about screwing up. Accidents happen. Perhaps you installed an app that messed up your theme or a CSV import completely messed up your product catalog. Common myth, cloud-based e-commerce platforms like Shopify and BigCommerce have automatic backup solutions you can use when something goes wrong with your store. 
this is simply untrue. They don't. Myth busted. So what do you do? You use Rewind. Rewind will protect Shopify and big commerce stores with automatic backups. Rewind should be the first app you install to protect your store against human error, misbehaving apps, or collaborators gone bad. It's like having your very own magic undo button. Rewind is trusted by over 25,000 businesses from side hustles to the biggest retail brands you can think of. Gymshark, Movement Watches, and Pampers all use Rewind for automatic backups. So here's the deal for 2Xs. If you head over to rewind.io, which is R-E-W-I-N-D.io, install Rewind, you'll get to use it for free for seven days. If you reach out to the Rewind team and mention the 2X e-commerce podcast, that extend your seven-day trial for a full month for free. Enjoy peace of mind with Rewind backups. Remember to head over to rewind.io and don't forget to mention the 2X e-commerce podcast for a full month trial. And um, what did business look, was, was it business as usual with these measures in place for you? Um, and how was there a lockdown in, in, in Shenzhen as compared to Wuhan or um, did you just take the precautions in Shenzhen and um, Wuhan was a major epicenter for, for, for the lockdown? Yeah, so this is kind of, it came at like a really opportune time, at least for China, because on the, I think January 25th was the first day of Chinese New Year. Mm. So right as it ramped up, everyone already kind of uh, was was getting off work. And so China also was a bit lucky that like they had people off from work anyways, and they kind of just said, they told people to stay at home. Mm. And they canceled all of the, usually during the Chinese New Year, they have a bunch of events in, in the cities, you know, um, and those events were very quickly canceled. And the government basically said, hey, stay home. Um, but at that time also around Wuhan, so the province, uh, Hubei was completely locked down. So the whole province was, so you started seeing them trying to get a grasp on it as it started to spread. Um, and the reason they did that is they locked down Wuhan, but they gave like a couple days leeway that they they said oh we're going to lock it down in a few days and then everyone left right so so in order to like try to catch up with the people spreading it they locked down the whole province mm. um but for us at least as a company um the normal chinese new year was supposed to start end on february 3rd um but the government extended it to the 10th so they extended the time that people still stayed at home mm-hmm. and in that time they created new um safety regulations for all companies that wanted to restart production and this is like why a lot of companies had trouble restarting um they basically required all employees to be registered uh, with the government. So I had to register my employees at my facility where they were working. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had to buy the proper protective equipment. That means masks, uh, gloves, if necessary, and do disinfection of our facility every day. And before, these are the basics, like there is a few other small things. Um, and before we commenced operations, we needed to have a government safety inspector come to our facility to approve that these measures has, have been taken so that we can commence work. Um, 
And this also included uh, temperature checks. We had to have a, a chart where we temperature checked each of our employees every day when they came in. And we were required by law, if they had a fever, to report that to the government. Mm-hmm. So very quickly, China also made um, new measures uh, on companies to protect, let's say, people's safety and to make sure that they were trying to control the spread. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a lot to take in. Um, so with inspectors that came into to your facilities, um, how stringent were, were their checks? Was it like, you know, spending all day and observing, um, you know, how hygienic um, it, it was? Or um, was it a one-time check, you know, it just took an hour or so? Um, yeah, it was a one-time check. It was a shorter check. Um, keep in mind, we don't have like hundreds of people in our facility, so they were less concerned about our facility um, just because the volume of people was not so much. I can imagine, and I don't have any firsthand knowledge, but if you had a factory of hundreds of people or thousands, that they would be significantly more stringent on those facilities. Mm. Um, But after they did approve us, they did come back twice since then. So we got approved in February and till now we've had them come back twice. So they are like, you know, keeping up and checking and making sure that we're not, uh, you know, getting uh, less, you know, stringent on, on the policies that we've, we've been doing. So you have not been locked down there. You've, you've, you've just taken, necessary precautions out in Shenzhen. Is, is that right? Or am I missing something? Um, yeah, like, well, um, as long as we made the right um, registration documents, our employees could, and, and, and this is all um, uh, regulated by the building manager of our warehouse as well. It's similar to my apartment. Um, as long as we had the right uh, registration as we do with the government and the safety inspectors allowed us to commence work, they would allow us into the building. But Mm -hmm. before that was completed, they wouldn't allow us in. Mm -hmm. Um, And there were certain checks around the city to make sure that people moving around had their papers. Are there any Um, cases, any any active cases in Shenzhen now? Um, Or um, or have there been any? Yeah, there haven't been recently. So there haven't been any new cases. But when the outbreak started, uh, there were hundreds of cases that all of a sudden started popping up. And they actually created an app to show you where the confirmed cases were. Mm -hmm. So like, that was like really helpful in like knowing how far you were, but it was also terrifying at the same time, right? (laughs) Like, like you can see all of the infections around you. And so um, I think it was helpful, but also bad for your mental <laughs> health, absolutely, you could say, your state, absolutely. right? Um, and we, we also saw some of my friends get locked down completely. And basically what they would do is if there was a confirmed case, let's say in your building or close to your building, the government wanted to restrict the movement of people in general, just like not have as many people come in contact. Mm-hmm. And so they would give tickets, like one to five tickets a week, and you would use those to leave the house to buy food. So maybe one of my Belgian friends, he had two a week and he could leave twice a week for some time. He, it was relaxed after some time to go outside to take a walk and to buy food. So it depended also a little bit on where you were living and how close you were in proximity to infected cases. Cases. Yeah. Interesting. 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 Okay. So um, how obviously... 
the timing, as you alluded to, was, you know, kind of really good in, t- in terms of like, you know, matching up with the Chinese New Year. And, and so um, it didn't necessarily hugely, you know, impact, you know, um, a lot of e-commerce, um, you know, well, well you know, merchants will will not, you know, um, get orders from China until like March or the end of February right. due to, to that. But what was the impact on commerce in general, especially online commerce in China between January and February? Right. So, um, yeah, like we we saw a few problems at least. So when everyone got back on February 10th, we saw a few problems with factories getting back to normal. Um, the first was what I told you, those inspections. Mm-hmm. So if you can think about every factory in China applying and putting their papers in, and then they have to wait for inspectors to come. But there's not nearly enough inspectors to handle that demand in a timely manner, right? So uh, we had uh, inspectors that were vastly, you know, overworked and not able to make it to factories for weeks, you know, after that happened. So that was one of the delays. Um, The second delay that we saw was just uh, migrant workers. A lot of migrant workers... They were either quarantined in their own place of residence where they live, or they were too scared to come back. So we saw like a massive shortage in actual labor that the factory could use to start production. And and so these were like the main two things that we were seeing that was like slowing down production, added to the fact that a lot of the sub-supply chain hadn't started. So most factories that we work with as like uh, end buyers is the assembler. They assemble many different components together from, you know, many different factories. So your product that you make could have 10 or 20 or 50 or 100 different factories that are below your final assembly factory. And those factories needed to get up to production to provide the parts for the final assembly. So those were like the main few things that we were seeing was delayed. And the interesting thing was because we knew that factories were in stress, they were telling all their customers that everything was fine. And they wanted to do that because they wanted manufacturing deposits. So they wanted their their buyers to give them a deposit to keep their cash flow moving. Um, So I'm in a lot of, I'm in a few like small, you know, private entrepreneur communities. And um, everyone was telling me, oh, my factory says things are fine. And I always told them, how many times have your, has your factory said that in the past, which is probably a lot, and they've delivered a month late? Imagine when you have one of the largest pandemics and they still say things are fine. <laughs> things are probably not fine. So um, even though a lot of factories were saying that, we still saw them not really ready in February. Mm, well, and um, then, you know, like that was not enough this happened, you know, March happened. Um, so you have delays in February. Um, so delays in, in deliveries, um, which were meant to go out um, maybe end of February or start of March. And then the pandemic starts to appear in Europe, the rest of the world, essentially. So now in March, what is, and obviously demand's gone down. Um, so what, what's the outlook there right now um, from from your perspective? Yeah. So, I mean, on the China side, things are starting to get back to normal. So um, 
By that, I mean probably we have factories with 50% production capacity at least um, running, so people are making things. Um, we're seeing extreme strains in the air freight market. So because we had all of the passenger flight uh, cancellations, a lot of people don't realize that a lot of air freight is put in the bellies of passenger freight. So we've lost a lot of capacity in the market and added to the fact that a lot of factories were delayed. Everyone wants to air freight their stuff to their country of destination because it's late already. So we've never seen air freight prices raise so much ever. <laughs> like they're even worse than Q4. And Q4 is historically really bad for air freight as far as cost. Yeah. And the prices now are higher than the, that. Yeah. So we're we're seeing a lot of strain in that in that part of the market. Yeah, um, you're you're echoing um, what one of our guests in, in two of our guests in the previous um, episode, you know, mentioned about this air freight thing. They're talking about like 10x what they typically you know um, you know get. Okay, and and then where. So, so do you, do you think the dust has finally settled in in China? Um, do you think there could be a resurgence, or um, does is, is everything in control there? Um, from from your yeah, perspective, so, being on ground. Yeah. So, as far as like the, um, the 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 spread of the virus, it's it's relatively under control. We're seeing that actually all the new cases, or most of them, are coming from the outside. So they call them boomerang cases, where they're actually infections in other countries that have flown back to China. Um, so as far as that, it's it's quite good. Um, people are still, I would say 30 to 40% of the restaurants or places that you'd go out in daily life are open now. So there's still a substantial amount of places that are not open. Um, and things are um, part of it. And, and I don't know the, the very big details, but as far as restaurants were, Originally, they were shut down by the government. And then slowly, the restaurants were allowed to do takeout, but that was only with certain uh, approvals from the health inspectors, just like my warehouse, mm -hmm. but even str more stringent ones for food. Um, and then once the, the, the situation got a bit better, they allowed people to sit in. Um, but the rules for sit-in were quite hilarious. Like uh, you had to sit 1.5 meters away from each other. So like if you went with a friend to Starbucks and you like wanted to get a coffee together, you could buy the coffee together, but you had to sit at chairs <laughs> 1.5 meters away from each other. <laughs> so, so yeah, you have like some kind of, a lot of kind of ridiculous type <laughs> measures. Social that, distancing. Yeah, social distancing. <laughs> um, and then after some time, some restaurants were given the okay to have you know, sit-in guests, like sit-in eaters. Um, but I don't think it's all of the people uh, or, or all the restaurants. And I have a good American friend that runs pizza shops in, um, in China. He has a few in Shenzhen and in Guangzhou. And just to give you his perspective, they're down, even after it's open now in sales on a typical Saturday, he's down 70 to 80% from normal in sales and revenue. And he says basically for himself, if he has to pay the rent for February and March, it's very likely he'll go bankrupt. Okay. So I think it's still really tough, 
even as fast as China's gotten back for a lot of people and a lot of small businesses here. What do you think the reason is? Are people just wary? You know, they, they, they prefer to use their ingredients and cook at home more, or, or um, something more, much more um, serious than that? Yeah, that's a, that's, yeah, it's a good question. I, I I don't know exactly. I think people are still a little, even though the virus has kind of stopped spreading, um, people are still a bit concerned, you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're a bit slow to get back to normal. And there's still um, some other places like movie theaters and things like that that are largest, larger places of gathering that are still not open. So okay. there's still some things that like the government has not opened. There's still some kind of nervousness within society. And so the combination of both have like made it a bit slow to get back to normal. This is really interesting. I might, it, it probably gives us some perspective of what would look like, or what things would look like when we eventually flatten the curve here in, in the sure. UK. Um, yep. So things will not go back to normal or things will gradually get better until, you know, um, we get a vaccine for this. Yeah. And I think on top of that, uh, what we all need to keep in mind is that China took some unprecedented measures um, by basically locking down their whole country. And some of the methods that I told you were very stringent, right? They were very extreme, let's say. Yeah. And as we see the rest of the world deal with it, each country has their own method, their own approach to how they're going to handle the virus. And we don't see a lot of other countries taking the very strong approach that China is, which leads me to believe it will take it much longer for most other countries to get through it. So we need to keep in mind that like a lot of people are comparing China's back to normalcy with theirs. And I think that's kind of an apples to orange comparison. It's not really going to work that way. So China, China started this right beginning of December or, or no end of December, I'm sorry, beginning of January. And we're almost at the end of March through some of the most stringent measures we've ever seen in human history. And we're still back, not back to normal. So we need to, to extrapolate that to our own countries and realize it's going to be very difficult for much longer. Yeah. You, you know, your, your spot on look at, look at Italy, for instance, um, you know, totally different, you know, um, yeah, the totally different experience really. Um, it's been more severe there. And Absolutely. you compare that to Germany. Um, and um, I think death rates are less than a percent, you know? Um, so yeah, you're right. It it is going to vary according to policy. You know, um, so yeah, absolutely. So, is there any silver lining here from your perspective <laughs> in China? Um, what I mean, there's a, I think there's a silver lining for people that run businesses that they can take a step back and think about. You know, sometimes when I work in my business all day, I just forget to like breathe and mm-hmm. think about what I want to do next and think about strategy. And so I've been able to do that. Um, I think people here, um, even through the virus, um, me and my team have all, well, except for the people working in the warehouse, but the office people have all worked remote. So once, once the virus went off, I said, everyone that works in the office uh, works from home. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, even though we've had that distance, 
Um, I think our whole team has gotten closer through the whole event. It's like we've gone through the fight together. And so I think like it is going to have some really, you know, as bad as it's going to be. And, a lot, you know, there's probably going to be a lot of people that die and there, you might know someone that is affected. It's very likely that you'll know someone affected by it. But the positive side is that it will bring people together. It will bring um, countries together and it will show the good of humans kind of, right? So I think yeah. you're going to see that. And that's like, that's something that like is special um, to see. And it, and and I think, you know, we'll have that all over the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, I have felt, um, I put out a tweet the other day and it was like, um, I felt more connected to my family, my work colleagues, um, professional community, my community, my local community. I'm part of a COVID, you know, um, response group here um, in, in our village. Um, and yeah, and to the greater world, cause we're fighting a, a single enemy here. Um, and you know, hopefully we will beat right. it. Okay. On, on a final note, um, I have a question on, um, e-commerce trends. We, we don't seem to have any data points on, um, obviously there's little face-to-face contact or social contact with people you know, as compared to what used to be the norm, but has that led to the rise of people ordering more stuff online um, from a Chinese perspective? Yeah. Because that could probably shed some more light on um, what to expect after, you know, we're able to, you know, um, really bit this curve down. Yeah. So from China's perspective, if we even go all the way back to the SARS outbreak, actually that was one of the, the triggers or pushes for a lot of people in China to start ordering online. Um, and we saw a vast growth in the ability to order things online. Um, I think this, even though China, uh, people buy things online like pretty regularly, uh, probably more even than in the U.S., I think this will push more people to set up accounts on the platforms here and more people to find it easier and more normal to purchase products online. So I think that's definitely a positive for the long term that we already know is kind of a trend or, or something that will happen, but it's pushing more people to get onto these platforms and mm-hmm. to buy. So yes, I think it's going to be positive and I think it's going to uh, help the ecosystem in the long term for sure. What's the integrity of the um, of delivery companies? Um, so logistics companies and postal services in China, um, both now and um, over the the lockdown were they also locked down or were deliveries still allowed to to to, to happen yeah like overall i mean without the pandemic i actually think china with domestically has one of the best like logistic systems in the world um the, the the logistic carriers are incredible here um during the start of the outbreak um a lot of them were still shut However, there were a few that were still open, uh, notably SF Express, which is one of the most famous ones in China. And they did a lot of the packages in the beginning and then a lot, and and they were also allowed to do it for critical items like medical equipment and things like that. Um, And many of the others followed very quickly. So our logistics is very normal now. Um, When I order food, actually, 
people don't know this, but in some places in the big cities, you can order and get your food in 30 minutes. Like people are talking about prime in the US being one day. Like mm-hmm. in China, we already have half hour. <laughs> yeah. So that's how that's how fast it is here. Um, but usually when I order food on JD.com, which is one of the big platforms, I'll get oh. it the next day. And um, yeah, I'm getting deliveries um, on time right now. Do, so do you feel safer ordering online where JD.com and the rest of the other e-commerce sites as compared to going in stores or going to malls? Yeah. So I've, I mean, it's hard to ask me cause I'm kind of, I kind of like it cause it's kind of a life, life optimizer. You, you don't have to go out and shop and it saves a lot of time. You can just click what you've ordered the last time and they just send it to you, you know? So I love it from a time perspective and I've been ordering food online in China way before that. Um, but yeah, overall, I love the experience. I'm sure it will become more of a thing outside of China. Um, I think it's, I think it's amazing. Like you don't have to go to the store. You don't have to forget your, you know, something on your list and it's cheap and it's, you know, convenient. So, so for China, it's great. Like, I don't know anyone, you know, I know a lot of my friends are ordering online, um, even without the virus here. Okay. Okay. All right, Brian. Um, thank you so much for you know um coming on the onto the show. Um, do you have any final words? And um, how best can people connect to you? Um, every, obviously, anybody who's listened to this point will be keen to connect to you. Um, how best can they connect to you? Yeah. So I have one thing, and then I'll tell you my kind of contact info. Um, I just want to say that from seeing what happened in China. Um, that people should definitely take it seriously and also expect for it to affect the economy or their local country longer than most people are expecting. And because of that, it's important that we all prepare our businesses um, to handle a kind of rough economic time. And the earlier we can start doing that, the better we will be prepared to to basically rough through the the. the the really crazy waters that's going to happen. So that's something that I can just recommend to people to really take it seriously and start doing that now. Um, and then as far as like connecting with me, you can email me at Brian, B-R-I-A-N at easychinawarehouse.com and feel free to ask me anything you want on uh, manufacturing or logistics or any questions you have about China. I'd be happy to help or, or answer any questions. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you so much, uh, Brian. I wish there was more time to to talk and talk and talk, but um, this is definitely um, the first of two, at least two, two, two episodes you'll be featured in. I'd love to, when the dust is settled, I'd really love to, you know, cover the intricacies of, um, you know, logistics and, um, yeah, the last mile, really, essentially, e-commerce, you know, um, customer sure. experience. Yeah. Great. Thanks for having me. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X e-commerce. We encourage you to connect with our community of 2X e-commerce listeners on our Facebook group, e-commerce growth accelerator mastermind. Just search for 2X e-commerce on Facebook to find it, answer three questions and you'll be approved. Grab the show notes of this episode on our website, 2xecommerce.com. Finally, if you haven't already, give the show a review on your podcasting app. Catch you on the next show and keep growing.